If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up, um, open them up to the book of Psalms because this weekend we're going to spend most of our time looking at David's life. Now, because everybody has a sinful nature, everything is broken in our world. Our environment is broken. Our political system is broken, okay? Uh, the economy is broken. The family is broken. Marriage is broken. Relationships are broken. And that is why we are in this series taking a look on how to make relationships healthy and whole. And I've been encouraging you in this series to take a lot of good notes. As I like to say, get it, got it good, give it away. Because they may not be uh, pertain to you right now, but I guarantee you this, they're going to pertain to someone that you know. This weekend, like Marty said, I want to deal with a very sensitive issue. In fact, it is a silent epidemic that is going on in Collin County, and that is the issue of abuse. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that in the end times, abuse is going to become uh, prevalent, okay? You may not know this, but truly, uh, abuse is at an all-time high. Let me give you, and I think it's being exposed now, about a year ago, hashtag me too. So let me give you some stats. The leading cause of injury to women now in the world is domestic violence. It is more than the next three causes of injury combined. Uh, accidents, muggings, and rapes. Domestic violence is the number one cause of injury to women. Every nine seconds in the United States, a woman is assaulted or beaten. Around the world, one out of three women have either been beaten, coerced into sex, or abused in her lifetime. Folks, that's incredible. One in five teenage girls have been in a relationship with a boyfriend who threatened them with violence if they broke up with them. In one survey, 92% of all women listed, uh, listed reducing, uh, yeah, all women listed domestic abuse and sexual assault as their top concern. Now, this isn't just a female issue. The University of New Hampshire did a 32-nation study and found that women now commit one half of all partner violence. In other words, it's just not one-sided anymore. Today, America has three times more shelters for abused animals than they do victims of violence. Now, this is just Physical and sexual abuse, which is pretty easy to identify. It's harder to pin down verbal and emotional abuse. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. The Bible literally is filled with examples of all kinds of abuse. Physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, religious abuse, which I'm going to teach on. But also emotional abuse. In Genesis 16, uh, it says that Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah abused her handmaiden, Hagar, to a point to where she ran away. In 1 Samuel 25, Abigail's husband, Nabal, was a bully. He wouldn't listen to anybody, and he pushed them around. 
In Job 19, Job talks about his tormentors as abusing him. In fact, take a look at this first, Job 19, 1 through 3. Why do you keep tormenting me with words? Time after time you insult me and show me no shame for the way you abuse me. Now the reason that we need to deal with this subject matter is because the damage of abuse is a lifetime damage unless you learn how to deal with it. A recent study uh, in, in the US, by the U.S. government did uh, with people that were 20 years and older found that 80% of these 20 year and older individuals still are carrying pain from abuse and carrying one or more dysfunctional behaviors as a result. Abuse runs deep. In Collin County, they've done surveys and over half the people have been affected by abuse in relationships. They either know someone or have been involved in it. And it creates all kinds of devastating damage in a person's life. Does God have anything to say about that? Sure he does. But it creates chaos in a person's life. In fact, Job 30, 27, let me read this. The churning inside of me never stops. Each day confronts me with more suffering. Now, like I said, with these kind of stats, we've either been directly affected by abuse, some kind of abuse, or we know of somebody. This message is to give you and I hope, regardless of what side of the fence you fall on there. So I want you to take some good notes. Now, there is no single passage that says, here's what you are to do. But literally, there are dozens of scriptures that deal with the principles of what to do. So how do you and I help ourselves or help someone else? Number one, don't keep it a secret. Folks, nothing happens until you take this first step. The Bible says that you've got to share your pain with someone that you know who is wise. Meaning that you don't hide it. You don't conceal it. You don't pretend that it didn't happen. You don't fake it. You don't ignore it. No, you talk about it with someone who can help you, whom you trust. Because you and I are as sick as our secrets. Our secrets truly are what keep us sick. And so by revealing our feelings, you've heard me say this, by revealing our feelings, we begin the healing process. And I don't care what kind of feeling it may be. It may be feelings of worry or fear or boredom or anger or loneliness or depression. Folks, it really doesn't matter. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Truly, if you can't if you can't share your feelings, you're not controlling them. They are controlling you. And so the starting point is don't keep it a secret. Let the truth out. Jesus said in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, the truth, what? It'll set you free. It enables you to begin living secure and in a safe place. And for that to happen, you first must admit and be open about it to at least one other person 
whom you trust. Now, like I said, abuse is oftentimes called the silent epidemic because nobody wants to talk about it. One report did a 10-nation study and discovered that depending on the nation, between 55 and 95% of women who have been abused by their partner, domestic violence, has never told anybody. And they found in that same report, men who have been abused are less likely, even more so, to report it. Why is that the case? Because abuse does crazy things in our minds. It creates shame so that we don't talk about it. So let me say this. If you don't hear anything else I've said, if you've been abused as a child or as a teenager or as an adult, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But Pastor George, no, it's not your fault. You are not responsible for the wrong actions of another. The abuser must accept the responsibility. Now, like I said, we're going to take a look in Psalms at the, at the life of David. Because if anybody understood abuse, it was David. He spent most of his life dealing with abuse from people who wanted to hurt him. There are over a hundred different passages in the book of Psalms where David expresses his hurt, his frustration, his fears, his depression from his enemies. In fact, of those hundred different portions of Scripture, 92 of those, David uses the phrase, his enemies. And one of the things that he shares is this, don't hold it in. Take a look at Psalms 39, 1 through 4. David said, I will not say anything while evil people are near. So I kept quiet, not saying a word. But my suffering only grew worse, and I was overcome with anxiety. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. Now, folks, understand that this is a classic response to abuse. And notice that there are four responses to it when you keep quiet. The first one is you become fearful. You're afraid to talk about it. He says, wow, I'm afraid to talk about it while evil people are around me. Secondly, your silence only makes it worse. He says, I kept quiet, not saying a word. But my suffering only grew worse. And then that, that pain turns into a panic. He says, I was overcome with anxiety. To the point, the last one, was where he was obsessed, uh, obsessed with death. He says, the more I thought, the more troubled I became, starting to ask myself, how long am I going to live? Why don't I just go home? And so with that, I want to say this, because there's all kinds of pain in our community. 50% have been impacted by this in Collin County. You may feel like your pain is too much to handle. Understand, God cares. 
This church cares. That's why we have a care ministry. And I care. And you may feel overwhelmed with pain. But don't think the way out is suicide. I've done five funerals due to suicide. And it is not fun. It is not worth it. But in order to stop and begin the healing process, you can't be silent. The second thing the Bible teaches is you got to name the abuse. You got to identify it. You got to recognize it. You got to call it for what it is. This is abuse. Now, to do this, you may need help from someone else. Because oftentimes, especially with emotional abuse, it is hard to identify because you are so close to it. And so you may need someone else to help, someone who is wiser to spot it in your life. The book of Psalms, like I said, has over a hundred different portions on this subject matter. And I have whittled them down to eight. And they're in your outlines. And I want you to circle a word in the verse, and I want you to write a, a word beside that verse so as to help you and I identify and to recognize emotional abuse. In Psalms 102, circle the word taunt. And write by that verse, aggravation. He's saying, they kept picking on me, okay? In Psalms 109, circle the word, threaten me. And write by it, intimidation. These are people who threaten you and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to leave you. If you do that, I'm going to fire you. If you do that, I'm going to walk out of here. In Psalms 22, circle the phrase ridicule and write by it denigration. They're always putting you down. Not in a fun gesture way. That can be a sign of love, right? I'm always kidding people. But in a bad way. In Psalm 69, verse 19, circle the word insulted and write by it humiliation. When you are constant being, constantly being humiliated in public, that is abuse. In Psalm 73, verse 8, circle, bully their way. This was Nabal, Abigail's husband. So, and write the word manipulation. They are ones who push you around with their words to get control of you emotionally. In Psalms 118, verse 13, circle the phrase, push hard, and write the word by that verse, domination. Everything is a power play to them. In Psalms 31, 13, circle the phrase, spread rumors, and write the word, defamation. They use gossip to abuse you. Sounds like our political system. In Psalms 35, verse 16, circle the phrase mock me and the word profanity and write the word condemnation. They use vulgar words. If any of these words describe 
at your environment, let me be as clear as I possibly can. You are being emotionally abused. This is not good-natured stuff, folks. It's emotional abuse. And so you need to admit it. You need to identify it or name it. The third thing is you don't minimize it or rationalize it. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God comes upon all those who disobey him. What is he saying there? Simply this, whatever you do, don't make excuses for them. Don't say, well, they were just having a bad day. Well, they, they, they have so many good qualities about them. Oh, I just brought this on myself. No, don't minimize it and don't rationalize it. Folks, I grew up in a home where my dad was what I would call a weekend alcoholic. He never came home Friday night. He always went to the bar, and he didn't leave until 1 or 2 in the morning. And then he would come back, and he would yell at my mom. And I'll never forget one time he hit her. And my mom got us kids out of the house, and she called the cops. And I was so proud of her because she drew a boundary on his life. And boundaries, as we learned last week, and if you get the logic of that series, that's why I shared it last week to set this message up, are not to destroy relationships, but they are to restore them. And because my mom set a boundary, my dad came to understand what his issues were, and they were married 54 years before my dad passed. Go, God. Go, God. Now, if you want strength for this, so as not to minimize or rationalize it, I would encourage you to read the 12 Old Testament minor prophets because those Old Testament minor prophets, in essence, are saying this, that God hates injustice and abuse. He talks about those who are politically and physically strong and how they are using, abusing their power, especially with the weak. And if I had to summarize those 12 books in the Bible, I would say God gets angry at abuse. And so whatever you do, don't, don't minimize it and don't compromise it. The fourth thing, will you write this down, is to help that person to a safe place if necessary. If someone is going through some kind of abuse, help them get to a safe place if necessary. Now let me be as clear as I possibly can. As your pastor, if you or someone you know is being physically or sexually abused, you need to get out of that situation now. Not tomorrow, now. As your pastor, there is not one single verse in the Bible that says that a child or a teenager or an adult has to stay in a situation where they are being physically or sexually abused not one. And if anyone else tells you otherwise, understand this. They are perverting the scriptures because it's not in there. 
But Pastor George, I'm married. I, I don't want to divorce them. I understand. But you moving out can set a boundary that can restore the relationship to a healthy one. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you are aware of physical or sexual abuse to a child, you must report it to the law. And I've told our staff this because it's the law. Beyond the law, what we need to do as Christians is that we need to pray for them. We need to encourage them to do the right thing. If they're an adult, hey, report it. If they're a child, you report it, okay? But we need to pray for them and we need to sympathize with them. This is what the scriptures teach. In Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews is talking about those who have been abused as Christians for their faith, who have been mistreated, not because they were criminals, but because of their faith and they were thrown into prison. And, And the writer of Hebrews says that, you know what? We not only need to identify with them, we need to sympathize with them. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them happened to you. You and I are to sympathize and to pray with them. We're not to say, you know what, it's none of my business. As Christians, we ought to stand up for the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. We shouldn't just be sweeping under the rug. If anyone ought to be on the right side of love and on the right side of the law, folks, it ought to be Christians. If you care, if you love, if you, are call, if you call yourself a Christian, guess what? It is your business. And it's our business. And so we deal with it. We seek to help the abused and the abuser. The fifth thing, and this is very important. The Bible teaches this. Don't confront the abuser by yourself. Don't walk out of here this morning and say, okay, I'm going to tell that person off. Don't do that because you could end up in lots of trouble. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you get a third person? A third stranded rope isn't easily snapped. In other words, what he's saying here is that you need a group intervention. And folks, I've been involved in group interventions, a number of them in my ministry years. And when you go into an intervention, you don't go in there to judge, to demean, to degrade. No, you come in a spirit of love, in a spirit of restoration, in a spirit to fix things by sharing the truth in love. I talked about this last week. You bring the light of truth into that dark situation and light has a way of sanitizing things. It has a way of bringing healing into your life and into their life. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, 11 and through 13. I take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. 
It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But when the light shines on them, it becomes clear how evil these things are. And where your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. And so you shine the light of truth on it in love, not in a demeaning way, not in a demanding way, not in a way of degrading the person, in a way of healing. And you don't do it by yourself. You do it as a team with a counselor. The sixth step to freedom and hope is begin the healing process. And like I said, we at LifePoint Care, we have all kinds of ministries under our care ministries to help people restore their character and their health and their wholeness in their life. Job was given some advice by his friends that I think is pertinent today in this hashtag me too culture. Take a look at Job 11, 13 through 17. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Put away any evil and wrong from your home. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory, like floods that are past and remembered no more. Your life will be brighter than sunshine at noon, and life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. Folks, this is what I want for you. This is what I want for people in our community. I want those memories of abuse to fade from their memory. And I want their life to be brighter than the noonday sun. I want it to be like the dawn of a new day. How do you get there? Well, notice the advice that Job was given. Notice first, you put your heart right. What does that mean? It means you have the courage first to admit it, to not keep it a secret. Then, he says, reach out to God. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, your Savior. He is the great physician. He knows how to heal. Then he says, put away the evil and wrong from you. In other words, get it out of your life. Get it out. Speak it out. Clean house emotionally and relationally if need be. And finally, face the world again. In other words, get help. And with that help will come hope. As I said, we have a whole care ministry right here to help people be restored. Now there is one other thing that you have to do in order to be healed. And that is let God settle the score. Don't get even. Don't retaliate. Don't hurt them back. Don't get... Uh, resentful. No. Let God settle the score. You see, in any relationship where there is hurt, you have one of three different positions. 
One is that you could be beneath them morally. If I hurt you and you haven't done anything, folks, I'm worse than you. Or you can be on the same plane with them morally. If you hurt me and I hurt you back, guess what? I'm just as bad as the perpetrator. Or you can be morally higher than them. How? By forgiving them and letting God settle the score. And this is what God calls us to. Take a look at 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Never repay one wrong with another. No, or one abuse, abusive word with another. Instead, repay with a blessing. That is what you are called to do so that you inherit a blessing. If you want God's blessing in your life, folks, if we want God's blessing in, in our lives, in our relationships, we've got to be different from the world. We've got to do things differently. You, can, you and I just can't do what the rest of the world is doing. No, we've got to follow the example that Christ set himself for you and I. And this is hard. This is not easy. Some people think that Christianity is for wimps. I tell you this, it's for people of courage. Because the easiest thing is to be on the same plane with other people. And God says, that's not the standard. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Christ never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but left everything to the one who judges fairly. Let me explain this. If you have been abused physically, sexually, verbally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, there is one person in the universe who understands you completely. His name is Jesus Christ. Nobody has been abused more than Jesus Christ. Nobody. When he was on the cross, he was verbally abused. He was physically abused. He was spiritually abused. Folks, he was even sexually abused. Do you realize that? He was stripped. He knows the pain of abuse. He took it on himself. Why did he do that? So that you could be healed. And to be healed, you must be connected to the healer. And Jesus is close because he's walked down that road. Psalms 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit and nothing crushes your spirit more than being abused where you feel demeaned and degraded and devalued. And so the starting point is for healing is that you must be connected to the healer. You must be in a relationship with the healer and let God settle the score. And you know what? One day he will. One day he will. Now I know this hasn't been 
an easy message. It wasn't one that I was really looking forward to giving, to be honest. Not with this theme of getting in the game and all the fun we've been having. But abuse is rampant in our culture. And I praise God for hashtag me too. I don't agree with all of it. But I'm glad that it's being exposed. You might ask me why. Because, like I said, it is the, one, it's the number one thing that women put on surveys. Domestic abuse in the home with a partner. And this year alone, folks, 10 million kids will witness their parents or some relationship with abuse. And those who see it are two times more likely to continue to do it once they get married. And I say this, let's draw the line. I know that this message has not been easy, but we live in a real world. And how I want to end this message is through prayer. And this is, I have four prayers that I want to pray over this church for us about. I want to pray the prayer of salvation because maybe some of us need to drop Christ from our head into our heart. I want to pray a prayer of healing because like I said in Collin County, 987,000 people have been affected by abuse. I want to pray a prayer that we would have a heart to identify, to sympathize with those who are hurting because we have great opportunity as the church to be on the right side of the law and on the right side of love. And I want to pray a prayer for those of us who are the victimizers because God says there's help and there's hope. I'm going to read these prayers because I don't know if I can read them without breaking down. And I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. Let's bow our heads and pray. A prayer of salvation. If you haven't prayed this prayer, would you just say something like this? Dear Jesus, I need salvation in so many ways. I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. I need your help. I need to be healed from my hurts. I need to be freed from my past. I need to have the power to develop new patterns. I need a new mind, a new heart, and a new outlook. I need a new me, God. And so Jesus Christ, today, I'm gonna ask you to, to come into my heart in every area of my life, even the secret places, and start doing your work within me. Shine your healing light. I want the truth to set me free. And I wanna trust you this morning. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And if you prayed that prayer in the sincerity of your heart, in your own words, that's okay. Would you let me know? 
I'd love to be a part of your journey. On your communication card, just write either the letter A or on the back of the card, just check the appropriate box. And I want to pray a prayer for those who need healing, for those who have been abused. Dear Father, will you just say this? You are my healer. And I ask you to heal me and to move me into health and wholeness. The abuse I suffered, and you name it, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, made me feel guilty and shame and condemned. I was bound in an emotional prison, God, crippled and could, couldn't find my way out. But lift me up, God. Put me on firm ground. Draw, me cl draw close to me in my broken heart and heal my wounds because you are the truth that sets me free. For those of us who need a heart to identify with those who have been abused, will you say in your heart this, Dear Father, so many people in my world are hurting today. Help me to stand with them, with those who are suffering. God, I admit, I don't know how to do this. My temptation truly is to run, to, to bury my head in the sand, to think that it's just someone else's business. But God, show me the pathway to help them, to walk with them in their pain, that I might be used by you to make a difference in their life, in their healing, and in their health. God, do this for the name of Jesus. And for those of us who have been the victimizer, been the abuser, God wants to help. Will you pray this prayer in your heart? God, examine me through your love. I am so afraid, God, of what might surface. And so search me. Search the depths of my being that I might truly know myself and that I might have a fuller measure of who you are. A God who is compassionate. A God who doesn't blow out a dimly burning wick. And God, give me courage to own it, to trust you, to work in me, to share with one other person that I might be able to get this secret into the light, that you might begin to bring healing into my heart. God, I need your healing grace. Help me to take the right steps. God, we look to you. You are the one that created this thing called relationships. 
and you know how to make them work. And it's your wisdom in your word as we know it and as we experience it in our lives, practicing it, God, that we begin to experience the peace of God. And God, that's what we long for in in this world. We long for peace. We long for tranquility. And so God, do your work in us. Minister to us through your spirit. Point the way for us that we might walk in it for your glory and for our good. In your son's name we pray. Amen.